That was a great lead-in, you know? Welcome to Myers Park on this beautiful third Sunday in Lent. We're so grateful to be gathering in this space to encounter the loving presence of our Lord and Savior as a family of God. My name is Uyan Kim, one of the pastors here. I'm so grateful to be joined by my uh, friend and colleague, Pastor Bill. But let me just share one thing before I pass it on to Pastor Bill. Just a quick reminder for us 9.45 and 11 a.m. worshipers, there is a shuttle bus that runs for those of us who have, I see you nodding, I love it. Did you use it today? Yay. Uh, we have wonderful problems like lack of parking uh, for Sunday morning worship services. There's a shuttle that runs back and forth to Mars Park Traditional Elementary School. So please do take advantage of that. There's two shuttle that runs all throughout the morning for 9.45 and 11 a.m. worship service. Pastor Bill, what else is going on today? Well, let me add my words of welcome and invite you to sign the hospitality pad so that we might come to begin a relationship with you. You can find out more about the church. We can communicate with you. Leave your name and an email or contact address there for us this morning. Also, I'd call your attention to all the wonderful ways in which you can participate in the life of this great church. And also remind you that coming up on Wednesday, March the 6th, uh, Dr. Howe continues his Bible study, and it will be in Francis Chapel, and it's at 11 o'clock and then again in the evening, and it is going to be on the Bible and politics. I'm sure you'll want to attend to find out a little bit more about that this week. The most oh, fun, the yeah, most fun. <laughs> yes, all right, so let us continue in an attitude of worship this morning.
Our affirmation of faith this morning is the Apostle Creed. It is printed in your worship bulletin. Let us unite in this historic confession of our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I invite you to turn in your worship bulletins to the prayer confession which is printed there. Let us confess our sins before God and one another. Let us pray. Our minds and hearts are consumed by busyness and brokenness. Pride and rancor shout loudly in our lives. We want to see as you see, to see ourselves as vessels of your love to see and be kind to others. We want to hear as you hear, listening to the least of these, those wounded, debated, blamed, and left out. Free us from all bondage, free enough to be reconciled to you and with others. Consume our hearts and minds by your grace. My friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we're yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
Our Old Testament lesson comes from Exodus chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether it form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female slave, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Garrett. I, I first heard of and gotten to know the Ten Commandments long before I got to read Exodus chapter 20. It was when I was six or seven years old. I saw the Ten Commandments, the movie starring none other than Charlton Heston and the great Yul Brenner. Remember those guys? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, here's an intro, I just thought it was a really cool, awesome movie and I've seen several times since then. Here's an interesting footnote about the Ten Commandments, not, not given by God, but as given by Paramount Pictures. Uh, the film was first re released in 1956. At the time of its release, it was the most expensive film ever made. Can you guess how much it was? At a whopping cost of $13 million. I grew up really liking the Ten Commandments, not because I like rules and laws and regulations, but unlike, let's say, something like um, the Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel lessons, which can be cryptic and mysterious, like blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who weep. Uh, compared to that, the Ten Commandments seem so logical to me, particularly the second half that Garrett read, yes? Honor your mother and father, don't kill, don't cheat, don't lie, don't cut. All these commandments make a whole lot of sense. It almost even seemed practical and pragmatic. 
to be sure, I think uh, commenting on the importance of the Ten Commandments and other rules and laws found in the Bible can make some of us feel uneasy. Uh, we can associate these things, including the Ten Commandments, as something of a restrictive, limiting boundaries. Uh, we associate with laws and rules things like judgment and even for some oppression, certainly legalism as we encounter often in the New Testament. And to be sure, in the life of the church, and really, in fact, in the life of all religions, there's been seasons in our history where these laws and rules and the commandments given by God have been lived into as less than what it's supposed to be, which is to demonstrate the presence and the love of God. So, yes, there's been times when the laws and the rules have been misrepresented and misused. Nevertheless, Martin Luther of the Protestant Reformation back from the 1500s, he writes that to know the commandments is to know everything that is the scripture. That's a strong endorsement of it. So instead of focusing on individual commandments found in the, the Big Ten, I wanted to look at the Ten Commandments as a, as a whole. Why might this be important, certainly for the Israelites, but also for us, the God's people here in the 21st century? Why do these things matter? What do they reveal about the nature of our God, our relationship to God, and our discipleship in Christ? So here's the first revelation. The Ten Commandments reveal to us that God cares for the details of our lives that God loves us enough to not leave us to our own devices, but to share specific guidelines for a path by which we should live our lives. So God initiates this conversation. I think one of the, one of the great lies that we bought into is that we presupposes that an individual self, a person can self-generate and sustain any kind of good and righteous moral and ethical norms. And if this is our assumption, we'll soon find out that this is false. This is a lie. We need to be given a particular kind of good and sustainable moral ethics. And so God initiates the conversation. God comes to God people and say, hey, let me show you what type of person and what type of people that I desire for you to be, what type of individual in a community that is a church that I made you to be. God comes to us first. Much like a loving parent who instructs her child so that she may grow up to be a particular type of person, if any one of the parents should leave a child to his or her own devices, we would call that irresponsible, lazy, and even cowardly. So God comes to us to say, this is, these are the instructions that I have for you so that you may be the best version of yourself. And in doing so, here's the tricky part, in doing so, God risks upsetting us. How many of us, when we were growing up as children, when our parents gave us specific instructions, laws, and rules, how many of us were happy about those things? No, but we rebelled. We were upset by it, at least for that time being. 
And a lot of our parents today, we fear upsetting our children, but God loves us enough to upset us as needed. I remember my parents giving me specific, so many, I mean, this is like Korean parents in the 80s, gave me so many instructions and rules and laws, and I didn't like any of it. Uh, they disciplined me when I disobeyed, and every time they gave me instructions, and specifically when they disciplined me, what do they say? I'm sure they said this to you. We're doing this because, because we love you. We're doing this because we love you, and now I say the same thing to my children. Do it! It's because I love you. One of my favorites of all commandments since 2014, that's when my son was born, is honor thy father and thy mother. It wasn't when I was a child, but it is now as an adult. Revelation chapter 3, we read, those whom I love, I reprieve, I discipline. It is out of love that we are given these things. So that's the first. Second, uh, we realize through the Ten Commandments and the rules and laws given to us that although the perception of the world is that laws and rules and things like Ten Commandments may limit us and bound us, it's the contrary. It is through the instructions and the ways of God that we find ultimate freedom and liberation. It is through these laws and rules that we find freedom and goodness. We lose a lot when we reduce these Ten Commandments onto moral principles and moral imperatives, although these are, yes, those two. It is a moral imperative and principles. But more than that, it is a ways in which God is instructing us to walk daily, to live our lives each and every week, to gather in worship, to honor one another, to give glory to God. The commandments are not so much a guideline as much as it is a way for us to be a countercultural group of people that give witness to the world. Thy shall not lie. That is very countercultural, is it not? It really is. It's a big deal. One of the people that I like to read ever since I really came to Charlotte, because it's such a big banking industry, is Warren Buffett. Some of you may know who that is, a famed investor. He's still uh, going at it. He said early on during his time with his partner, Charlie Munger, he said, Charlie, it's going to be actually a lot easier than we think to take the high road because there's so few people there. It's a countercultural way of, I'm glad to see you laugh, Chan. <laughs> it's a countercultural way to live, to not lie, to tell the truth, to live in truth. Will Willimon and Stanley Harawas of Duke Divinity School write these words, we live in a culture where submission to any authority other than our own egos is considered unduly authoritarian and unfair. We have freed ourselves from all external authority except servitude to the self. This we hail as freedom. But the Israelites knew, and God certainly warns God's people, that slavery comes in different forms and shapes, often insidious and invisible. And there's nothing more harmful and destructive than the, the servitude to the self, to be slave to one's desire. So God gives us a different path, a different way. Herbert McCabe, who is a Catholic theologian, he speaks of this thing he calls 
moral apprenticeship, that there are seasons and stages of our lives where we need to be taught certain sense of morals to live it within a, a context of a community. And in doing so, eventually, yes, there'll be times and place and circumstances where we'll be left to make our own decisions, but we need to be taught. We need to be discipled. There needs to be moral apprenticeship. I tend to believe that I'm gonna be a moral apprentice all of my life in the context of a worshiping community before God. And yes, indeed, there'll be times where I have to make some decisions, but I always come at the heel of being taught by the church in the church. Unrestricted and boundless freedom is at best fiction, modern fiction. And at worst, it's very destructive, self-destructive. I've shared this example before in ways of finding liberation through boundedness, finding freedom through discipline. And it's a story of my cousin who's 10 years younger than me who lives in Korea. She, if I told you the story before, if I share a story more than two, three times, just email me. You don't have to tell me at the door. Just send me a kind email. She, she's what one would label as a, a prodigy. She plays the violin. She's in her 30s now. And she would practice, even today, but growing up as a child in her adolescence, as a teenager, she practiced her violin after school, five hours a day, six, seven days a week. And in doing so, can you imagine all the things that she missed out on? Hanging out with friends, watching television, going to dances and even parties. She didn't compromise for her five hours a day, six, seven days a week. You know, she won all kinds of awards and what have you. Many of her friends and a lot of people outside looking in would have said, you are, you're so bounded. You're so not free. You're so constricted. It would be easy to think that until you hear her play the violin. You'll never find a freer person. She became the person that she was made to be through going through that journey, that apprenticeship. So that's the second. There's freedom, liberation in the laws and the rules and the ways of God for you and for me and for the world. The third and the last is that we can only live into these commandments. We can only live faithfully in our discipleship when it's done in a context of a bigger family, community, that is the church. We often think of knowing something as only a cognitive exercise, but to fully know the Ten Commandments and the ways of God is to live in a particular way, in a context of a particular kind of people. And that is us. That is the church gathered here today. One thing you'll notice in the, the Ten Commandments is the first half is our relationship with God. And in the middle, there's the Sabbath, and the latter part of the commandments are, it, it depicts how we relate to one another, right? How we are to be neighbors and family together. So in this way, theology, which is our understanding and our ways of God, theology and ethics are always connected. They're never separate. 
You know, John Wesley always said, uh, there's a, if I had a little diagram, I'd draw you a circle with different dots, but essentially, John Wesley talked about how the closer we get to God, the closer we get to our neighbors. And subsequently, the closer we get to our neighbors, the closer we get to the heart of God. The theology and ethics are always connected. They always go hand in hand. We often think that sin, the consequences of sin, is a particular kind of punishment. I think that's certainly true. But even more so than that, I've come to see, I've come to witness that sin itself is a punishment. Because when we live in a particular way that is of sin, these sins prevent us from becoming the person that God made us to be. There's nothing more oppressive, nothing sadder, nothing more painful than to see people to live a particular kind of life that is outside the bounds of the person that God made them to be. The obedience puts us on a particular path, on a journey, away, in such a way that we become the individuals and the family and the church that God ultimately desired for us and made us to be. I tell you, false gods, false gods make terrible demands on us. It's so much, life is so much easier, certainly it's more fulfilling and good, but I got I got from my years of witnessing, life is so much easier when we live in truth instead of a lie. When we live in the ways of God instead of living in, in a particular kind of sin. Uh, I've had the, the unfortunate reality of witnessing to brokenness in different families, whether it be my friends or church members. I've sat next to, prayed with, listened to uh, friends who committed adultery. It's painful. It's hard. Sad. So much wounds. But here's the part that I didn't realize, that I didn't know until I journeyed with those who've gone through that brokenness of adultery. Adultery is so complicated. Living my life as a monogamous I try to be faithful. My wife might have some other things to say, but I try to be my best. As a monogamous, faithful husband, is hard enough as it is. Yes, it's so hard. Adultery, the lies. Do you know how hard it is to keep up with all of that? I got an electronic calendar. I got a calendar on my phone, on my computer, in my book bag, and I still lose track. I told my, my, my friend from college who went through this, I said, so, John, how do you keep up with all this? There's, there's a life that awaits you that's so much simpler, so much joyful, and quite frankly, easier. Live the truth. Yeah? Live the truth. So God, God calls us to live, to be a particular kind of people. Not to limit us, but to free us. Not to make our lives difficult, but to actually make it simpler, in many ways easier, because living in truth, there's nothing like it. There's not much to keep up with. 
to be this way. And here's the good news. We can do this. You and I can live this way. We can do this because God instructs us. We can do this because God gave us one another, the church, to live a particular kind of life, countercultural way of being, to live in truth, to give witness to God's love so that you and I can be the persons and the family that God made us to be. And for this, we give thanks. Amen. Church, let us pray. Lord, we bring all of ourselves into this space. We bring our past, we bring our future, and we bring our present. We lay all of who we are before you. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, full of love, full of goodness, desiring liberation with you. Lord, in your mercy, Lord, you continue to call us toward reconciliation and growth. We admit there are people in our lives that we struggle to love, that we struggle to go through life with. There are relationships that are full of deep pain and frustration. Lord, we ask that your grace seep into the cracks and rifts in our lives, that we may find the freedom found in forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy. All loving God, help us see others the way you see others. We are so quick to say we are fine, when the reality is many of us are far from fine. Whether we are drowning in our grief, consumed in our frustration and fear, laden with anxiety about the future, riddled with guilt, or desperately trying to hold it all together. Lord, each of us is so much more than the words we speak out loud. Give us the courage to allow ourselves to be seen, but also to see one another in the fullness of ourselves, broken, battered, and crying out for you. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, we lift our deepest desires before you, that they can be healed, that the pain will go away, that the depression will lift, that we can move on without them in our lives anymore. Lord, you hear all of our prayers. You never leave us. You dry each one of our tears. Help those among us know your presence, feel your peace, and remember your goodness. Lord, in your mercy. And let us remember that we are doing this together, that we are a community as we pray the family prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, I want to say thank you. Uh, one of the beautiful things we get to do as a church is we are celebrating new members joining at the 11 o'clock service and at the 845 service. And that is because of your continued generosity that we get to be a growing church where people join our worshiping community every, every Sunday. Thank you.
glad hearts and generous spirits for your holy church. Amen. We're grateful. We give thanks because God cares for us enough to give us instructions to tell us the way so that we may be liberated to become the persons that God made us to be. So may the love of this God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Mm -hmm.